Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Good morning. It is Friday, May 12th. It is five minutes after 11. It's Kendall and Casey on 93 WIBC. His name is Rob Kendall. My name is Casey Daniels. We're glad you're joining us today. You can find him on Twitter at Rob M. Kendall. You can find me there as well, Casey Daniels 317. And right now you can also find us on YouTube as we stream live. Just type in Kendall and Casey into the YouTube search bar. Stick around because coming up later this hour, we're going to be speaking with Dave Majors. He is the CEO of Meekum Auction. Oh, yeah. Which is here in town. We're also going to be speaking with Susan Beckwith and our Mind Your Manners segment as we wrap up the week and send you off into the abyss with some social graces. I'm so excited about this auction guy because this is a huge event. Mm-hmm. Like you, uh, Tony was talking about it yeah. today. You've been talking about it. What What is it? Well, we're going to find out in about 15 minutes. We're going to speak to the CEO okay. and hear it straight from him. Lots of cars. Yes, yes. A lot of cars and a few motorcycles. Yeah, my dad actually goes to that every year. Yeah. So it's a pretty big event. It is a big event. Your dad have a big wallet to buy cars or what's Casey, going on? Casey, that's he, a very he, inappropriate question. He's yeah. just going for fun. We don't talk about money here. Okay, it's not appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know what we do talk about is E. Jean Carroll and Donald Trump. E. Jean Carroll is threatening to sue Donald Trump for a third time over his, quote, vile comments during the CNN Republican presidential town hall with Caitlin Collins. Okay, so this comes right off of the 5 million sexual abuse and defamation verdict. And then he went on that CNN town hall, called her a whack job, uh, made fun of her pets and their names, and said he doesn't even know her, even though he was in a picture with her. He said it's just stupid. It's just disgusting. Um, So now she wants what? She's going to sue him again? Like, when does this end? Well, look, Trump does not not have the ability to quit. So I don't know. I'm not a lawyer. But I do find it interesting. I mean, look, he he clearly claims that it didn't happen. Mm -hmm. And he's very adamant it didn't happen. Um, Trump Trump would be a nightmare to have as a client. Like if, you, if you're an attorney, well, yeah. if you're an attorney, because you know obviously the number one thing they tell you as a client is don't 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 speak unless we're you know that's why you pay us. You pay us to speak on your behalf. Clearly, he's a different animal in the sense of he's actively running for president of the United States. So things like this could affect him and the votes, and certainly how women vote or perceive him. He feels obviously compelled to respond to it, like he feels compelled to respond to everything. But as an attorney, you got to just be going, dude. Stop talking. I mean, on all, a lot of these things. I mean, these things are he's under investigation on, uh, you know, et cetera. The thing, you know, related to Alvin Bragg. It's like it, talking never makes your attorney's job easier. And I get that you're in a different state or or, or universe than 99.99999% of the people because you're the a major party front runner for president and a former president. However, in terms of from a l- pure legal perspective, every time he opens his mouth, he hurts himself. So 
this this happened just hours after the verdict came down. So his blood is probably still boiling about this, right? And I felt there were a lot of things that he desperately wanted to get off his chest and talk about. When it came to the January 6th stuff and the election stuff, he he probably should have just said, you know what, let's just move forward. He couldn't let it go. And this is the same exact thing. She just won a $5 million verdict against him. Dropping the bucket to Donald Trump, but yet he couldn't let it go. Well, and and so this is, it's interesting you mentioned the election stuff, because I had a conversation yesterday at my other job with a very respected member of state government who I will not name, because I will not subject that person to uh, the ridicule and potential shame that could be with being friends and openly associating with me. But we were talking about this, and this is a person who definitely voted for Donald Trump, both times we're not talking about a super liberal person we're talking about a person who wants the republicans to win and this person said i thought this was very good that he and i'm paraphrasing here it's not exactly what they said but they essentially said he cannot let that go and there's a way that you can still state that you don't think you lost without throwing it in people's mm-hmm. faces. And what Trump does, and we talked about this the other day when, when we were, I guess the town hall was Wednesday, so we talked about it on yesterday's show. When you say well, the election was rigged or the election was stolen and you just are adamantly stuck on that, one, it doesn't do anything for the people now. It doesn't do, it doesn't do anything to help you right now because the people who believe that, they're already voting for you anyway. Okay, so you're not, there's nothing to help you now, but what it also does is, and there's a lot of people out there who, if you catch them in a, you know, a truth serum or a lie detector or whatever, will admit, yeah, I probably made a mistake because I voted thinking I was going to get some semblance of normalcy returning to the presidency. Joe Biden was a seasoned politician, you know, been around forever. He'd been a vice president. That the half paying attention person probably just thought, I'm sick of this guy. Biden will be normal. Let's go. <laughs> and, it, and if you right, and those disappointment, people, you can't beat them over the head with making a mistake. And when you say, well, the election was rigged, Mm -hmm. you're invalidating the decision that those people wrongly made. And so he could say, look, I think there were serious problems with the 2020 election. Those things absolutely have to be fixed. And then name them, name the things. He never names the things, Right. right? It's just, it was rigged, it was stolen. Okay, name the things in the states and then say, but we have to look Move to the future. Forward. Right. And yes. he never it's like he's just stuck right. and he will not get off that. And it's the same thing with this E. Jean Carroll. He's just so angry. Let it go. Like, let it go and move forward. There is no, Trump offers no specific forward vision for the country. And I think that's a major mistake he makes. Like, when he goes into the Ukraine, oh, I'd have that solved in 24 hours. How? Oh, I'd have that solved in 24 hours. You know, okay, you would you would drill. I, I don't doubt that on that, that's one specific area. And it got a ruckus around him of, of applause mm-hmm. because it was a specific policy proposal. But he is so scant on the specifics on stuff that it's not a forward vision for the country. Donald Trump has been very successful in his life because he, in business, and he did this in his, in his 2016 run, you could picture whatever he was telling you. Right. So in his business life, when he's in a business deal, he will tell you something. He will sell you something. He will present something to you. And in your mind, 
in the mind of the investor or the guy he's trying to do the deal with, mm-hmm. that person mm-hmm. pictures, mm-hmm. you know, the end of everybody raising the bottle of champagne together. That's why he was successful. When he ran for president in 2016, there was a vision of, okay, I'm going to build the wall. I'm going to get tough on China. I'm going to put American manufacturing back. That's why he won in those swing states. That's why he won in Pennsylvania, Ohio, uh, Michigan, uh, Wisconsin. Those people could visualize, if I vote for him, then this will happen. He didn't do that in 2020. He behaved like a lunatic in those debates in 2020. He totally alienated people. And look, I get that he was kind of stuck in neutral because of COVID, but ultimately he's the president. The buck stops with you. And he's doing the same stuck in neutral that he was doing in 2020. Well, I think the reason, you know, the drill baby drill comment got such the round of applause is because that is something that everybody can attach themselves with and agree with. If you're worried about the inflation and the gas prices and everything else under the Biden administration, well, here is something the exact opposite to that that Donald Trump is saying that he would do to solve the problem. Uh, You know, like any good businessman, ABC, right? Always be closing. Yeah. And that is something that he does. However, there were times during that CNN town hall where he couldn't because he couldn't show his cards completely. Here's a man who wants to be back in the White House. He knows he's going to have to negotiate with Zelensky and Putin. So he's not going to show his cards and he's definitely not going to do it on national TV. It is people, we, we, us, you, me, people who work in this building, uh, one of the mistakes we make is we often don't separate ourselves from the environment in which we live. And it's often true of people who listen to talk radio too, because they're super informed, super knowledgeable, totally aware of what's going on. They want to be informed. And it's sometimes tough to separate and realize there are a lot of people out there who don't live that life. (laughs) And you have to, it is hard to compel people to be informed and be educated. That's just a very hard, and that sucks, and that's why our country's in the position it's in, because people don't want to be informed, they don't want to be educated, they don't want to be involved. It can be very depressing to be informed. Well, it can, and it's also a lot of work to inform people. Mm -hmm. And you have to, people that, that keep defending Trump on a lot of these things, you're defending Trump from your perspective. You're not defending, you're not rationally thinking about how the uninformed unengaged person is viewing this. And the reality is Trump won those states in 2016 because he offered a very clear vision to the average uninformed person. He also was very blessed that he was running as the most unlikable major party nominee probably in American history. Yeah. And those two things put him over the top. He's not offering that vision. People are not going to vote for you based on some victim mentality because Trump is not a sympathetic figure. There are some people who can play the sympathetic card Great. Trump is not that. There are some people when bad things happen to them, even if they're of their own doing, Mm -hmm. you go, oh, my gosh, you poor, terrible person. Right, But with Trump, you're thinking, oh, you're going to dry your tears with hundred dollar bills. Exactly. And so the challenge to people and especially people get mad at me when I tell you these things. I tell you them because this is why I'm good at what I do. I have the ability. I've been elected. I've won elections. I've worked in government. I, I understand how people outside of the sphere we live in view things. And Trump is not appealing to those people. And until he does that, he's not going to win. All right. Coming up next, we're going to try and get Dave Majors on the line. He is the CEO of Meekum Auctions, which is in town all, well, starting now and all next week. It's Kendall and Casey on 93 WIBC. 
Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Did you know St. Jude has one of the largest pediatric sickle cell programs in the country? St. Jude freely shares the discoveries they make, and every child saved at St. Jude means doctors and scientists worldwide can use this knowledge to save thousands more children everywhere. Join me today in helping to fight sickle cell disease by becoming a partner in hope. Call now, 1-800-411-9898. That's 1-800-411-9898. 20 minutes after 11 with Kendall and Casey on 93 WIBC and on the drivehubler.com hotline. We have Dave Majors. He is the CEO of Meekum Auctions. Good morning, Dave. How are you? Good morning. We are underway here at the Indiana State Fairgrounds for Dana Meekum's 36th annual spring classic. All right. Lots of cars, cars, cars. So let's get into it. Before we begin, can you give us an overview and tell everybody what is Meekum Auctions? What do you guys do? (laughs) Meekum Auctions is the world's largest collector car auction company. And by collector cars, that's anything from, you know, pre-wars, early 1900s, 50s, 60s, 70s American muscle cars, and right up to, you know, brand new exotics, Ferraris, Lamborghinis, Porsches, Mercedes. And we do... Uh, 13 events a year across the country. Indianapolis is our second biggest event. Uh, in total, we will bring about 15,000 cars to auction this year wow. uh, for a total sales of about $850 million. And we have 3,000 cars here at uh, the Indianapolis State Fairgrounds wow. today. Dave, Dave, I'm curious. Um, has the the car industry, we saw collectibles during COVID, whether mm-hmm. it's magazines or baseball cards or coins or whatever. It's see huge spikes in, in prices. They've kind of come back down to earth a little bit. Has the, the collector car industry kind of been the same way? Yeah, the you know, all collectibles uh, saw that spike, as did the collector car uh, business. And we, we actually increased our total sales by about 50% during the pandemic just because of that that strong increase in price. I would say in the collector car market, we've not seen the retraction that maybe you've seen in in other places, but we have seen prices start to level out a bit. They just haven't fallen backwards. I want to know about some of the cars that you have. Um, do, do people prefer the resto mods or do they like them with all the original parts better? You know, it's interesting. Uh, the first time I saw a Restomod was here at the Indianapolis auction, probably about seven or eight years ago. And it was a, a 1965 uh, Corvette split window, and which is a very popular uh, Corvette, probably one of the most popular models. And the collectors looked at it as kind of an abomination. It, you know, you've taken this beautiful... 65 split window and you've, you've done this to it you've ruined the car it, it didn't get a lot of attention but in the last three or four years rest of mods of corvettes and, and really any 60s and 70s american muscle car mm-hmm. they're beautifully done and they are some of the most popular cars at the auction and command prices in the several hundred thousand dollar range for yeah. ones that are that are well done 
Casey, did you want to introduce our guest before I ask this next fabulous question? Yeah, we've got Dave Majors. He's the CEO of Meekum Auctions on the line with us. Dave, I'm, I'm curious, when you watch a movie, like when people are in professions, you know, they whatever their profession is, it kind of maybe ruins the cinematic version of whatever. Are you super picky when you watch movies with old cars? Do you look <laughs> at them and go, oh, those people are full of crap on that. That, that, and that is wrong. I drive my wife completely crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. And, and you know, so often it'll be, you know, you're watching a movie that's maybe set in, in 1962 and they show a 1965 Corvette and I'll immediately point it out. That car wasn't even made. <laughs> this movie supposedly took place. Right. <laughs> Was there anything wrong in Ford versus Ferrari? <laughs> <laughs> no, actually not. And that, you know, what a great movie that was. And we actually own one of those GT40 prototypes. And mm-hmm. so we, we had all of our staff, we rented a movie theater and took the entire staff to see that movie because sitting right outside of my office is, a, you know, one of those very cars that, uh, the Carroll Shelby cars. So it, we were, we were really uh, happy to see that. And that brought a lot of attention, not only to the 2005 and 2006 Ford GTs, but now the new uh, Ford GTs that came out in 2017 that uh, are still you know, are still being produced today that are bringing a couple of million dollars at auction. You have a 1968 Shelby convertible that's going to be, I think it's a lot S169 that's going to be up in the auction. And I, I don't know, but if I'm putting down a couple hundred thousand dollars for this classic car, I want it to have air conditioning in it and, and things like that. Do people who are buying the car, do like, like who are these people? Are they all movie stars with a big wallet or, you know, like what is your customer base? Yeah, well, yeah, actually, we, we bill ourselves as the collector car auction company for everybody. And, and what I like to say is it doesn't matter what make, what model, what color or how big your pocketbook is. It's probably here someplace for you in 3000 cars. We, we started today, we're selling cars that are collector cars uh, at the low end of the scale that are ten fifteen thousand dollars $15,000 each. And by the time we get to a week from tomorrow, the last day of the auction, we'll be selling cars that are uh, obviously multi-millions of dollars. Wow. So our, our, we, don't, we don't cater to just the elite. Um, you know, we're a family-owned business. Dana Meekham started the company at this kitchen table in 1988. He has four sons that work with us every day in the business, and, and and we like to say that everybody is welcome to our auctions and everybody's part of our family. Casey, real quick, you want to introduce our guest? Yeah, it's David Major, CEO of Meekum Auctions. Now, uh, I'm curious, when you guys come to a community, it almost seems like it's like, hey, you know, the Rolling Stones are playing tonight in Indianapolis, <laughs> and there's all these people who come. Can you talk about kind of, and you guys do this all over the country, can you talk about the impact, you know, from a, you know, from a fiscal standpoint, a financial financial standpoint, you guys bring a lot of people to our city and create a lot of commerce. Yeah, I, you know, I call us the uh, the traveling circus because we do travel like a circus. We, uh, at last count, I, I, I think I'm still correct, uh, we travel in 35 semis to move this show from one city to wow. the next. And that includes uh, 18 semis that, that are just equipment, to, you know, all of our lighting grids, our stage sets. Uh, when you come to one of our auctions, everything you see we brought with us. And then we have 14 car haulers that we use to bring uh, customer cars. Of course, of course, not all of them. We can't haul 3,000, but a lot of customer cars. And one thing that a lot of people don't realize is that we produce our own television show. So we have four television trucks that, that come with us as well. So when you see 
people on our stage wearing Motor Trend TV T-shirts and, and sports coats for the announcers. There's nobody here that works for Motor Trend. They all actually work for us, and, and we're producing our own show. So, you know, the first, maybe the, you know, the first economic impact is I have 300 people to travel with this show that are, are going to be here for two weeks. They're going to stay in hotels. They're going to, you know, eat and hopefully not go to the uh, refreshment establishments very often. <laughs> but, uh, you know, beyond that, we will have uh, somewhere around, uh, I would guess, at this event, forty to 50,000 people that will yeah. come here, not only from, you know, just the local community, but from all over the country, filling hotel rooms and, again, restaurants. And maybe most importantly to the state, uh, we're going to do at this event uh, somewhere around 120 to 140 million dollars of sales over the wow. nine days, and of course we're collecting sales tax on those sales. So. Yeah. Uh, it has an economic benefit to, to the state coffers as well. Dave Majors is with us, CEO of Mecham Auction. Dave, we only have about a minute left, and I've got a bunch of questions that I still want to get through. So let's just <laughs> rapid fire really quick. What happens when a car doesn't meet the reserve? Uh, we, we have the right to continue to sell that car for 21 days. We have a booth called Bid Goes On. If it didn't make the reserve, you know what the lowest bid was. You go to the Bid Goes On booth, make an offer higher than that. And we still uh, close probably 10% of the cars here after it crosses the block. Where do you find the cars that are in the auction? So all of these cars are consignment cars. They come from all over the country. Uh, People call us up and say, I've got a car I want to sell at your auction in Indianapolis. Or maybe I'm a collector. We have 30 collections at this auction that range anywhere from five cars to 50 cars coming from just one individual. So a lot of these cars are within a six-hour radius, but uh, this event draws all over the country. I'm excited about the Elvis Presley motorcycle that you have. And uh, so what, does somebody from his estate call you and say, hey, we've got this Harley-Davidson. It was uh, the last Harley-Davidson that Elvis Presley ever purchased. You guys want it? Yeah, it actually wasn't the estate. It's a private owner that uh, that motorcycle was purchased by Elvis Presley uh, it was titled in his name. He never actually picked it up from the dealership, and so it was bought wow. secondhand uh, from another uh, from another buyer. Mm-hmm. And that's who's brought it to the auction. So getting getting a lot of attention, of course, is every time we have something Elvis Presley, it does. Yeah. And which uh, which vehicle are you most excited about? I I'm like everybody else. The Black Ghost. I, I like I like vehicles that are iconic that have a story, and the Black Ghost. Uh, is probably one of the most fascinating stories that got its name. It's a 1970 Challenger. Uh, been in the same family since 1970. It got its name because it would show up at street racing at night in Detroit. Nobody knew who owned it. It would take on all comers. It would. It never got beat, and it would disappear into the night just as just as quickly as it showed up. Yeah. And so it had that mystique around it. Sounds, it sounds like awesome. the show we do here, Dave. Sounds exactly like that. <laughs> Shows up under the cover of darkness and disappears. Yeah. Dave yeah. Major, CEO of Mecham Auctions, we appreciate your time. If you would like more information on the event that starts today and is going all through next week, you can find them online. It's Mecham.com. That is M-E-C-U-M.com. Dave Majors, thank you. You're listening to right, Kendall and yeah. Casey on 93 WIBC. I'm picking up with Kendall and Casey on 93 WIBC and here's a name you may not have heard for quite a few years Jordan Vandersloot 
You remember this guy. He's being extradited back to the United States, and this time for extortion and fraud charges related to the disappearance and the murder of that Alabama teen, Natalie Natalie Holloway. Holloway. And this goes all the way back to 2005. Now, of course, for those of you who may have a passing knowledge of this or may may have say, what are you talking about? In the mid-2000s, 2005, I think you said, Mm Jordan Vandersloot allegedly killed this this beautiful young girl. She was on some sort of it was spring break. It was or, a high school graduation it, trip. Yeah, to uh, Aruba. Aruba, yes. And Vandersloot's dad was a big time politico. And basically, you know, there's 93 different versions of what happened. And depending on who you believe, they they basically were kind of all in cahoots together, depending on, you know, the allegations, at least I should say, was that they were in cahoots together on covering up. He he kills her. And then the dad's in on the the cover up and the and the authorities look the other way. And obviously it's it's in Aruba. So it's very hard for the family to engage in any sort of investigation on its own. This went on for years and years and years. He was never uh, tried or, or convicted, but then he was convicted. Was he convicted later yes. for murder, right? He of another woman who he murdered five years to the date of Natalie Holloway. And so... he was He's in a jail. Yeah, this was in a, it was in a hotel room and it was, you know, a lot of people said, okay, look, you know, I mean, no surprise here. And the guy probably, allegedly, mm-hmm. killed this other girl and gets away with it and then it, it's almost OJ-esque in the sense of you get away with it once but you have so little self-control and you're such a lunatic that well, you know in the case of OJ he didn't he didn't kill another person he robbed he robbed someone which is why he went to went to prison for several years prosecutors accused him of killing Flores which is this other woman after she saw something on his laptop apparently and he confessed to her and then he murdered her and he was sentenced to 28 years in prison yeah. for the murder of the second one. And so now the it, it, that was Aruba as well, right? Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yeah. So now those authorities have agreed to extradite him because for years he had avoided going back to the United States to to face any sort of justice potentially on Natalie Holloway because those authorities had refused to extradite him. However, now in a in a um I guess extortion would be the word, dating back to he had apparently, allegedly said, hey, I'll give you information on where she's buried if you pay X amount of money. $25,000. And so this, now the the feds are involved in it, and so they have apparently been able to throw around enough weight and muscle to get Aruba to agree to extradite him back to the United States. Yep. Okay, let's talk about this world's oldest dog. I love this story. Yappy birthday, world's oldest dog, Bobby, yeah. is 31. 31, Casey! 31! Okay, so it's a purebred. Uh, he was born in 1992. <laughs> He's older than Kevin. He's part of the uh, Guinness World Records book. And there's a, what, there's a veterinarian clinic or something that proves, yes, th- this dog was born that long ago. The average age for this breed is 12 years old. So he has more than doubled his expected lifespan. And he lives in Portugal. Mm-hmm. And there's a lovely photo. The New York Post ran a big article on this this guy. And you just see the pup. And there it is. And it looks in very good uh, health. I mean, at least for being 31 years old. How old is your dog? My dog is... Th- just turned 13. Okay. Yeah. 
Yeah, her birthday. You'll love this, Rob. Her, My dog's birthday is on tax day. Oh, <laughs> how exciting. So we're reminded every year. But yeah, she's getting a little long in the tooth. She's slowing down. She takes a lot of naps. Yeah. Uh, but I can't imagine a 31-year-old dog. Now, his mom, mm-hmm. this dog's mom, also lived to be 18 years old. Mm-hmm. Which it again, runs in the family. That breed is very, very impressive. But that is so cool. That yeah. this dog has lived to be 31 years old. The owner says that looking at the dog is like remembering all the people and family members who have come and gone in his life yeah. as well. Because the dog is the the constant that's, that's awesome. been there through all of it. I love this so much. Uh, one thing I don't love, though, because we've got a few minutes here. Uh, of course, the news reading the big announcement, the Dr. Box gynecologist, mm-hmm. uh, the state health commissioner who was the architect of the shutdown and the mask mandates and all the stuff that Holcomb did during COVID is retiring. And naturally, Holcomb, with his power pants on, acting like this woman should deserve some sort of parade. And uh, as you head into the weekend, let me be as clear as I possibly can be on this. This woman deserves nothing but scorn from us as a collective. She was a total hypocrite. She went on statewide television, finger wagging people about wearing masks and then uh, did it. I mean, the crazy thing is, Casey, she did it after she knew she'd been at her kid's wedding not wearing a mask. The photos didn't surface until after she was being a colossal hypocrite. Uh, The state was a total failure during COVID. The actions that she and Holcomb took didn't help or protect anyone. There's no scientific evidence to it whatsoever. They pulled it out of their backside as they went along. They cost over a million people their jobs. They closed down tens of thousands of businesses. A whole bunch of them never reopened. They tried to put you in jail for not wearing a mask. So do not salute this woman. Don't pat her on the back. Don't, Don't... give her a Sagamore of the Wabash. Well, I'm sure she'll get one of those, and I'm sure she'll <laughs> end up somewhere nice and cushy. But this woman deserves no respect from any of us. She deserves no applause from any of us. She deserves a giant batch of scorn from all of us because she had no idea what she was doing. A gynecologist is no more qualified to advise during a pandemic than you or I. And yet they took her word as some sort of infallible piece of advice and none of it worked. She was everything Holcomb's government has been the entire time he's been governor. It was big. It was bloated. It was centralized. It was about stomping out people and it failed miserably. And Dr. Box Gynecologist, you are a giant failure. You failed miserably. And as I said earlier, on behalf of the nearly 7 million people of this state, I'd like to extend one finger to you to tell you you're number one, and it ain't the index finger. It is 1142. It's Kendall and Casey on 93 WIBC. Two things I want to get to before we get to a break, because we do have Susan Beckwith joining us in just a minute, and we're going to mind your manners as we head into the weekend. Oh, perfect segue to mind your manners. Talk about... Talk about uh, Elevator etiquette. Uh, Elon Musk has announced a he has hired a new CEO of Twitter. She's going to be starting in six weeks. He says my role will be to transition from being the executive chair and CTO to overseeing product and software. So he's out as CEO, bringing somebody else in. And before we get into break, reminder. Sunday is Mother's Day. Oh, yeah. Happy Mother's Day. And the woman who brought you into this world would love to hear from you. Take it from one mother. She wants to hear from you. All right. Susan Beckwith joins us next. It's Kendall and Casey on 93 WIBC.
Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Hey fam, I'm asking for your support. Help us raise money for St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital. Families never receive a bill from St. Jude for treatment, travel, housing, or food so they can focus on helping their child live. By pledging just $19 a month, you're helping St. Jude give every child with cancer a chance. Help St. Jude save lives. Call 1-800-411-9898. That's 1-800-411-9898 and become a partner in hope today. It's time to mind your manners with Susan Beckwith. Ninety-three WIBC. It is the Kendall and Casey show, and Casey, it is time to take our audience into the week with a little bit of etiquette on how to be better people in society. Yes, let's talk to the Bell of the Midwest. Yeah. So, if you are new to uh, what we do here every uh, Friday, we give you what you need to be a a better person over the weekend. Uh, better manners, better rules for the road, better better living amongst the masses. And we turn to our former Miss Indiana, Susan Beckwith. All right. Susan, you were very excited to talk about elevator etiquette this week, and I've got to start with, because I do this all the time, is it okay to talk to random strangers in an elevator? (laughs) Yes, actually, it's okay to break the ice and kind of acknowledge good morning, hello, but you kind of want to use your social IQ beyond that and kind of feel out whether or not you think they want to engage in further conversation so just i just keep talking just to the person to is, that, is that wrong should i not just keep talking to the person if they don't respond well you know a lot of times people will give you <laughs> those uh those cues on whether or not they're not really wanting to engage in further conversation but what i have to just comment quickly that makes me laugh is mike i had this exact question as you that was the one that he inquired about as far as should i not just get on there and start talking so it's, it's no wonder you all are are good friends <laughs> i had no idea that there was actually etiquette in an elevator <laughs> oh there are you know and i have to just say before we dive any further into specifically elevator etiquette there were a couple reasons why i thought this was relevant we have a lot of new grads that are you know completing their college education going to be entering the workforce Mm -hmm. and in my normal nine to five i'm in and out a lot of hospitals so i'm taking a lot of elevators and some of these really common sense things you'd think people probably know but i'm sometimes amazed it would not be bad to, to just do a review And then just in general, I was thinking about all of your great listeners. You know, you have many female listeners. I know you have many male listeners. I believe you are number one. Yeah, we're number one. Yeah, number one. Number one. Number one. one. Yeah, you got that. But we got to do better with the women, which is why you're here. You're here to make us better with women. (laughs) Well, you're number one with that key money demo. But here's the thing, whether you're female or male, when you act with a level of refinement and chivalry, you know, 
it's it's becoming. And I feel like those soft skills sometimes will benefit you and you may not even realize it. So needless to say, uh, there is hopefully stuff to be gleaned from reviewing. But, uh, yeah, let's get back into talking about elevators uh, specifically. Yeah, Susan Beck with our guest is Mind Your Manners. We're talking about elevator etiquette. Okay, so you're on an elevator. You're trying to go somewhere. Uh, Mouthy McGee, your coworker, keeps talking to somebody out in the hall. How long do I have to hold the elevator for this person who's disrupting my day? Well, especially if the elevator is full, I would not hold it longer than 15 to 20 seconds. Now, if it's just the two of you, then that's a different scenario. But if there's an elevator full of people that need to get to their destination, you want to be respectful of their time. Because, like, your husband will talk to someone for nine hours straight. It would be the sun would be coming up when we would get there. He would still be engaged in a conversation and the sun would be going down. So, that, yeah, I, I, I do not like I've always felt weird about having to hold for someone who is disrupting my day well then you can just yell out the bells in the west says i have you know this is why we drive separate because i love people i do but he is like extroverted in a way that i am not (laughs) okay now susan i would imagine that COVID has changed a lot of people's thinking in the elevator you see a packed elevator the door opens do you want to get in there or do you no i'm gonna wait till the next one I definitely think COVID, you know, probably made people more aware of proximity. And so when you get onto an elevator, you know, COVID or not, just creating kind of space for future riders that could potentially be getting on. You want to kind of take to the back of the elevator. (laughs) You want to face forward. I mean, all of these things are very common sense things. But when you think about how odd that would be if somebody didn't. It's just good to review. So, yes, be aware of proximity and how close you are. And, um, you know, you want to be respectful of people's space. Now, I want to ask you about safety. Being a lady, what if the door opens and it's a man and you're getting the vibe that I don't want to get on this? Do you just nope and turn away? Or what, what do we do in this situation? Yes. Absolutely. Find the stairs, wait for another elevator. You don't want to put yourself in a situation where you obviously don't feel comfortable or, and and I wouldn't worry necessarily about uh, hurting that person's feelings or coming across rude. They have no idea if you've made that decision because you forgot something, you realize, oh, I want to use the ladies room before boarding, but I would not put yourself in an unsafe situation. Uh, Susan Beckwith is our guest, our Mind Your Manners segment. It's elevator etiquette today. Uh, Susan, there's a a famous episode of the television show The Office uh, in which Dwight and Pam are stuck in an elevator together and Dwight's initial reaction as the elevator is not moving is to establish a pee corner. Uh, is that bad elevator <laughs> etiquette to establish the pee corner? Uh, yes, and it's so funny because I didn't see that potentially coming up, but I thought you might bring up the scene from Liar Liar. Yes, absolutely. With, yes, because that was also a question that Micah had. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, yes, it is. It is uh, a, a pee corner would not be would not be good, and passing gas also is not uh, you know, good in that setting. So you know, you just want to be really aware of those around you. No talking on your cell phone. Just really thinking about how you would want to be as far I mean, like thinking about the space. You know, how you would want others to be around you, basically. That golden rule keeps coming up, doesn't it? Is it proper to ask somebody who's standing next to the control board to press your button, your floor level, or do you need to do that yourself? 
no, you can ask. That's totally fine. Yeah, I, I demand Casey do that all the time. Hey, woman, hit that button for me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. I think uh, this segment may need to end up being longer than just a few minutes, Rob. <laughs> hey, woman. Hey, to that comment. I'm doing my best, Mr. T. Hey, woman, hit hey, that button for hey. me. Hey, uh, uh, real quick, how close am I allowed to stand to the elevator before it opens? I like to stand right next to the door <laughs> so people see my face as soon as that door pops open. Well, the rule is, and this is probably the the etiquette that I see most commonly not followed and one that I wish people knew is that those exiting go first. So if you are standing next to the exit because you're you know, planning to get off, that's fine. It's the ones that are waiting to board that need to stand back and be aware that it's you have the right of way. <laughs> All right. Tell us about your fabulous website, Bell of the Midwest. So right now, Bell of the Midwest is a great opportunity to get in touch with me, especially if you are interested in booking any sort of speaking engagement. This last Saturday was so much fun. I had the opportunity to join the Parks Department for a speaking event with their mother-daughter team. Um, You can also follow me on social media at Bell of the Midwest on Instagram as well as Facebook. B-E-L-L-E. Don't forget the extra E, bellofthemidwest.com. Susan Beckwith, you're the best. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. All right, and have a great weekend. That's going to do it for us. Thank you, Rob. Thank you, Kevin. And thank you for listening today. We're going to count on you to be back here on Monday with Kendall and Casey on 93 WIBC.